Well, howdy. All right. Well, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries here in College Station, and it is a huge joy and a privilege to be here at uh, Grace Bible Anderson. My family, we go to Southwood, but this church, this location of Grace is very special to me. This is where I went when I was in college, and God really shaped my life spiritually through this church and through your pastor, um, Brian Fisher. He has probably had the greatest impact on my life spiritually. And so it's great to get to be here with you this morning. I want to start just by telling you about an experience that I had when I was a student here at A&M. Some friends and I, we decided to try out for this very selective organization. And so the way the tryout process worked was you would go to these different tryout events and there were about 200 people trying out for 30 to 40 spots. And so we would show up, someone would stand up, give an announcement And basically say, go. And 200 people would scatter around the room to get in line to talk to the different members that were in this organization. And so because that's the way these tryout events would go, it wasn't uncommon for you to spend more time standing in line to talk to a member than to actually talk to a member. And so I just remember standing there in line. And as I stood in line, I couldn't help but look out upon the other 199 people who were trying out for this organization. And as it would turn out, those 199 people were actually my competition. And as I stood there and looked at my competition, I couldn't help but stand there and compare myself to my competition. So I'd look around and be like, okay, well, that guy's a dork. I'll get him before he does. So that's good news. Okay, well, that person over there is kind of jacked and I'm not. So that might be going for him in his favor. Okay, that person right there just talked to that member for like 20 minutes. Our conversation was over in like three to four, so that can't be a good sign. And then my friends and I, we'd get back in the car after each event was over, and we would debrief. So I was like, okay, how many people did you talk to, and what do you think your chances are? And are you feeling this? Do you think that this is going to happen for you? And this happened for after each event. And so finally, after all the trial events were over, I made my way to the MSC and I picked up this envelope. Like this is the envelope that I picked up almost two decades ago. And I don't know what the psychology is behind still having this envelope. You can diagnose my problem for me. But I went to the MSC and I picked up this letter and I took it outside and I, um, as I went outside, I opened this letter and there was a lot written in the letter. I'll just read you the important, the important part. It says, unfortunately. Okay, that's not a good word. Okay, when you're wondering if you got into something, unfortunately is not a word that you want in your letter. It said, unfortunately, the nature of what this organization is founded on requires that this process be selected. At this time, we must inform you that you have not been selected. And so I read this letter, and I'll never forget, standing outside the MSC, right after I finished reading my letter, I looked up and I saw one of my friends that had gone through the process with me. He was reading his letter, and his response to his letter was different than my response to my letter. Because I remember looking at him as he read, and he gripped his letter with both hands, and as he read it, he just closed his eyes and smiled because he had gotten in. And I remember when I saw him in that moment, I thought to myself, of course he got in. Of course he got in. 
He's more likable than I am. He's more connected than I am. He was enough for them and I wasn't. This morning I want to talk about this idea of our enoughness. I don't know if you realize this, but rattling around deep inside of every single one of us is this haunting question, am I enough? Like, I don't know if you realize this, but that question, am I enough, actually dictates a lot of how you live and how you act and who you believe yourself to be. Every single one of us at different times, whether we consciously think it or not, we operate off of this foundational question, am I enough? And so we need to talk about this question, am I enough? Because I would imagine that every single person in this room actually knows what it feels like to not be enough. Like maybe you've actually been handed a physical letter. Maybe you haven't actually gotten a letter, but it feels like someone's given you a letter. Maybe it feels like one of your parents has handed you a letter or your spouse or a ex-spouse has handed you a letter. Maybe it feels like a boss or a former boss has handed you a letter or a friend or an ex-friend has basically in a way handed you a letter declaring, I just need you to know that you are not enough for me. Now there's a bunch of forces at play in our lives that call into question our enoughness, what I want to do this morning is I want to pinpoint the single greatest force that's at play in our lives that actually calls into question our enoughness. And that force is the force of comparison. So you might not realize this, but you struggle with comparison. Every single one of us in here struggles with comparison in one way or another. And comparison is the single greatest force at play in our lives that calls into question our enoughness. The hard thing is that we compare like we breathe. We do it without even realizing it. And the overflow of comparison in our lives is insecurity, low self-esteem, low self-worth, anxiety, depression, and for some people, it's suicide. It's not an exaggeration to say that comparison can actually ruin your life. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is crack open the word of God and look at the life of King Saul. Comparison was actually the match that lit King Saul's life on fire and burned it to the ground. I need you to know that there is a better way. There is. This morning is all about us fighting for our joy in 2019. In 2019, my hope is that you could come to a place where you just declare in the quietness of your own heart, you know what, enough with being enough. Like I'm tired of trying to be enough. I'm trying, I'm tired of trying to measure up enough with being enough and where that journey is going to have to start for each one of us right here just a week into the new year it has to start with us coming to a place where we can declare you know what enough with comparison enough with comparison and so this morning what I want to do is I want to give you four key truths that you need to know when dealing with comparison in your life during 2019 and we're going to do it by looking at the life of King Saul or a specific moment in the life of King Saul so if you have a bible turn with me today to 1 Samuel chapter 18 1 Samuel 18 
And I want to make sure we're just all on the same page about who King Saul is. If you're not familiar with that person in the scriptures, King Saul was the first ever king of the nation of Israel. And he was a mediocre king. We know that he was a mediocre king because God basically told him that he was a mediocre king. And so God basically comes to Saul and says, you have not done what I've asked you to do, and I'm going to replace you. And we now know that God replaced King Saul with King David, a better king. And what leads up to this moment that we're going to read in 1 Samuel 18 is actually the battle in which David killed the giant Goliath. And so the way that that story played out was King Saul and his men showed up to battle against the Philistines. This giant named Goliath came out, and King Saul's response was to tremble in fear. David, this teenage boy, shows up and confidently drops that giant with a sling and a stone. Now we pick it up in 1 Samuel 18 as King Saul and David come back from that battle. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 6. Keep an eye out for the comparison. It says this, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, And with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. There's the comparison. The women singing actually put the comparison onto Saul and David. But now we're going to see the comparison take root. Saul's going to take it to heart. Verse 8. And Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. He said they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel in Judah loved David for he went out and came in before them. So I want you to see all eyes on me. What I need you to see is that a king struggled with comparison. A king who had vast amounts of wealth, power, fame, prestige struggled with comparison. Now let me just ask you, if a king struggled with comparison, do you think that it's possible that you might struggle with comparison? As I was preparing for this talk, Uh, This was a while back, but I shot up and out of my bed at 2 a.m. because my home security system began to blare throughout my house. And as I jumped out of my bed and I stood right next to my bed in the fog of coming out of my sleep with the alarm in my house blaring, the question that I had to answer in that split-second moment was this, did someone just break into my house to steal from me? And the reason that I tell you that is because of what Theodore Roosevelt says about comparison. What does he say? He says comparison is the thief of joy. So if comparison is actually a thief, then the question that you need to answer this morning is the same question that I had to answer standing next to my bed at 2 a.m. 
Has comparison broken into the house of your soul to steal from you? I believe that the answer to that question for every single person in this room is yes. And so the first key truth that I want you to know this morning when dealing with comparison is this. Wake up, you're getting robbed. Wake up, you're getting robbed. I mean, tell me that you don't struggle with comparison. Tell me you've never compared your looks to someone else's looks or your weight to someone else's weight. Tell me you've never compared your car to someone else's car or your house to someone else's house or your spouse to someone else's spouse or how about this one, your kids to someone else's kids? Have you ever compared your job to someone else's job, your success to someone else's success? What about likability? Have you ever looked at how people respond to one person and compared that to how people respond to you? What about perceived godliness? You might have done it just this morning. You walk into this place, you look around, you're like, okay, she's a lot more into this than I am. He's clearly a lot more into God and more connected with Jesus than I am. We can compare all sorts of things. Wake up, you're getting robbed. And so if we struggle with comparison, one of the best things that each of us can do is answer the questions, who, what, and when. Like, who do you compare yourself to? What do you compare? And when do you do it? As I was preparing for this talk, um, I was in the market for a new iPhone. And so I just want to show you the process that I went through um, to uh, compare iPhones. Um, and this is a little outdated. I know that we're on to the iPhone 10 now, but here's, here's the process that I went through. So I hopped on, uh, the internet, went to Google, of course, went to apple.com and uh, I wanted to compare different iPhone models. And so I went to the top and clicked on iPhone and to my surprise, and as it lucks out, right over there on the right-hand side was a tab labeled Compare, and that's really helpful. If you want to compare different iPhone models, if there's a tab called Compare, you can click on it. And what it brought up, and clearly this is 2008 because we're iPhone 8 here and we're already on to the 10, but it brought up a side-by-side-by-side comparison of three different iPhone models. And as I scrolled down, I, look at, I could look at all of the different specifications compared to between each different iPhone model. Now, you can go ahead and take uh, this down. But um, as I looked at that, here's the the question that uh, came to mind. We can take the video down. Perfect. Here's the question that came to mind as I looked at that. I just thought to myself, what if there was a compare tab that you could click on for each person's life in this room? Like, what if we could go into your life and click on a tab, compare? Like, what would come up? Who would be on your side-by-side comparison, and what would be compared? So just to answer that question, who? Like, who would be on your comparison chart? Is it one of your siblings? Is it one of your friends? Do you compare yourself to one of your coworkers? You might compare yourself to someone whose name you don't even know. You see them at the gym different times during the week, and you look at them, and you look at you, and you know that there's a difference. And so you compare. Who is on your comparison chart? 
And what are you comparing? Answer that question because that will tell you what you really value in life. What do you tend to compare? Do you compare looks? Do you compare weight? Do you compare success? Do you compare job titles? Do you compare likability or godliness? What is it for you? Now, let me answer the question, when? When do you compare? I believe the answer to that question for many of us, not all of us, but many is all the time. See, the greatest source, the the greatest tool that breeds comparison in our lives is social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And for many people in this room, social media is the bookends of your day. It's the first thing that you see in the morning when you wake up. It's either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And it's the last thing that you look at as you lay in bed at night. So if social media, the greatest source of comparison in our lives, if it is the beginning and the end of your day, I wouldn't be surprised if you look at it at different points throughout the day, and without you realizing it, you are comparing like you breathe. Identify the who, the what, and the when. First key truth you need to know is this. Wake up, you're getting robbed. The second key truth that you need to know when dealing with comparison in 2019 is this. Comparison feeds on er and as. Comparison feeds on er and as. Now, I didn't hear any amens there. Nobody's lives were changed in that moment. No one saw that. I was like, oh, that is so rich. Yeah, comparison feeds on er and as. It makes perfect sense. Okay, let me explain it. Here's what I'm talking about. Okay, I want you to think about the story with King Saul. King Saul and David are coming back to town, and the text says that women come out singing songs. Who did they come out singing songs for? Saul. The text actually tells us that they came out singing songs to meet King Saul. The women came out of town playing tambourines for who? Saul. Men, let me ask you, when was the last time a woman played the tambourine for you? (laughs) Probably never. Why? Because you're not important enough for a woman to play the tambourine for you. But Saul was. He was extremely important. And the interesting thing is when you look at the song that the women are singing, it says that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. You need to know that it wasn't the women's intention to offend King Saul. And we can look at that and say, we can see how he was offended. But if you look at it, they declare that he has conquered his thousands. They are declaring that their king is a conquering king. They were declaring that their king was great. Where does the problem come in? Here's the problem. Saul didn't want to just be great. Saul wanted to be greater. That's the problem. That's what comparison fed upon. It fed upon Saul's need to not just be great, but to be greater. John Dewey, philosopher and psychologist John Dewey once said this. He said, the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to feel important. Do you realize that? One of the greatest desires inside of you is the desire to feel important. Do you know how that often gets fleshed out in your life? It gets fleshed out in your need for what one pastor labels the er factor. You need to be able to look at the people around you and know that you have the er factor over them. You need to know that you are smart 
er, strong er, pretty er, skinny er, funny er, wealthy er, godly er, successful er than the people that are around you. I remember years ago, I was at the gym running on the treadmill, and uh, and God just slapped me on the side of the head. Like, he didn't speak to me audibly, but he spoke to me, and he just pressed on me. And as I was running, here's what he said to me. He said, you need everyone around you to be a nobody so that you can feel like a somebody. What was he targeting in my life? He was targeting my need for the er factor. And if many people in this room were honest, you'd be able to identify, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I feel that. I need, to, I, need to, I need people around me to fail so that I can feel like a success. I need people to be nobody so that I can feel like somebody. You get that. But some of you in here are like, you know what, that's not me. Like, I don't feel that need. For, I don't need to be better or stronger or funnier or prettier or skinnier. I don't need that er factor, okay? For you, it might not be the need for the er factor as much as it is the need for the as factor, See, what you might do is you might look around in this world and you, in your own heart and mind, determine what you believe to be the ideal. And you look at other people in this world and you de- decide for yourself what is the ideal look, what is the ideal wait, what is the ideal when it comes to success. And you begin to believe, you know what, if I could just be as pretty, if I could just be as skinny, if I could just be as wealthy, if I could just be as smart, if I could just be as successful, if I could just be as godly as that person, then I would truly be enough. Let me just identify one problem with the earth factor and one problem with the as factor. You know what the problem with the earth factor is? The problem with the earth factor is that while you will always have the earth factor over some people in your life, some people in your life will always have the earth factor over you. There will always be someone smarter, better, funnier, prettier. We live in a world with almost 8 billion. It's bound to happen that your life is going to intersect with someone who's one up on you. And when you find that person, you know what it does is it spins you into this vicious cycle once again of needing to be enough but feeling like you're not. That's the problem with the er factor. You want to know what the problem is with the as factor? The problem with the as factor is that perception isn't reality. And perfection is actually an illusion. Like, let me just call something out real quick. There is nothing instant about Instagram. And I realize we have Insta story now, but be honest. You take three or four or five takes before you actually let it pass through to your Insta story. And some of you are like, Insta what? That's okay. But there's nothing instant about Instagram. We all need time to crop and, and filter things. That's why we even use the hashtag no filter. It's like we're telling the world, everything else I post is a lie. I have to doctor it. I have to crop it and filter it so that it can look better than it actually is. But this one moment in my life is legitimate. Perfection is an illusion, but you know what we do? We spend our lives comparing our unfiltered lives to other people's filtered feeds. One pastor put it this way. He said that we compare our behind-the-scenes footage to other people's highlight reels. 
And it robs us of joy. Perfection is an illusion. Let me just give you an illustration from uh, my own life. Uh, this right here is the Atik family Christmas card. Atik is my last name, so this is our uh, Christmas card. And I wish that everyone could just, maybe we'll just start a line. Y'all can just pass through and just so you can see this. Because it would bring me joy to just hear the audible noises that would be made as you look at how amazing my family is. Because you can just barely see it from here, but I just need you to know, bam! Like, we're barely getting started, people. You didn't even see that coming. All right? Like, just use your best eyes to look and see. Behold! Because you look at this, and you know what you'll see? You see that Kat and I are clearly a smoking hot couple. Rocking our mid, let's be honest, late 30s, okay? This is Andrew. He's in first grade, crushing the first grade, people. Like, incredible. It's, he's, it's amazing. Anyway, this is Noah. He's in third grade, dominating the third grade. Like, probably the best third grader ever. And then, as if that wasn't enough, you flip it over and you've got baby Jake right there. And uh, he's like days away from a baby modeling contract. It's crazy. Like, we think that there's a mix-up. They can't get our contact information. But it's going to happen soon, people. Like, we're an amazing family. Like, we amaze ourselves at how amazing we are. Like, we're, we're, we are the ideal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you want to know what was happening on either side of the button being pressed to take these amazing pictures on our Christmas card? Let me just tell you what was happening on either side. On the front end of the button being pressed, I was all over my kids. Like, get off the ground. Stop running into the woods. Stop messing around with each other. Stop tilting your head a weird way. Like, look at the camera and smile. All over. On the back side of taking those pictures, well, we made the beautiful mistake of taking those pictures in 20 mile an hour winds. And as we were taking the pictures, something flew into the eye of baby Jake, who was two and a half months old at the time, and it necessitated a thousand dollar visit to the ER room, which is awesome. <laughs> Here's the good news. The good news is this isn't even our 2018 Christmas card. This is our 2017 Christmas card. You want to know why? We don't have a 2018 Christmas card. The reason we don't have a 2018 Christmas card is because half of our 2017 Christmas cards are still in a box at home that we never sent out. So the Atik clan is crushing it in life. Just crushing it. See, perfection is... An illusion. Perception is not reality. Like, I don't know who you look at as the ideal, but I just want to put this thought in your head. What if the ideal for you, when you sit there and look and just say, if I could just be as whatever they are, what if that ideal person is looking at someone else saying, if I could just be as whatever, like that person there? What if the person that you think has it all is actually lacking, wanting more? Comparison feeds on er and as the third key truth that you need to know when dealing with <clears throat> when dealing with comparison in 2019 is this comparison has terrible side effects. 
It has terrible side effects. You know those uh, medicine or drug commercials that come on TV? You know what I'm talking about? Like those commercials that show like people just smiling and laughing. It's really inspirational music and they're laughing with their friends or like wrestling with their dog and life just looks incredible for them. Um, it, you, you look and you're like, okay, they're having fun with their dog or with their friends or the weird one where they're like sitting in a bathtub on a beach next to their significant other who's also in a bathtub. It's like, did you bring your own bathtubs to the beach? Or like, did you just happen upon those? Like, did you clean those out? Like that, anyway, that, that's just the thought that goes through my mind. But at the end of those medicine commercials, those drug commercials, what happens? There's a, there's a soft, soothing voice that comes on to tell you the side effects, right? It's like, talk to your doctor before using this medication. This medication can cause nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, demon possession, and even death. It's like, really? Like, that could happen? But what's, what's the point? The point is it is warning you. It doesn't matter how good you think this drug might be. There can be serious side effects. The reason I tell you that is before you take comparison in 2019, let me just be the soft, soothing voice that speaks into your life to say there can be very serious side effects when it comes to comparison. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at the life of King Saul. Comparison fueled anger, suspicion, paranoia. It caused fear. It led Saul to spend the rest of his life pointing his life at the wrong thing, trying to kill David, the guy who was actually fighting on his behalf. He lost the respect of his daughter, his son, all of his men, and in the end, he committed suicide. All because of comparison. It had terrible side effects in Saul's life, and it will have terrible side effects in your life. Let me just identify some of the side effects you will experience in 2019 if you decide to take comparison. Number one, it'll fuel competition. Comparison fuels competition and starves connection. It ruins relationships. It fuels pride. You'll look for people that you are better than to feel better about yourself. It fuels envy. You'll wish that you had a little bit less of what God has given you and a little bit more of what he's given someone else. It'll breed anxiety because you will consistently feel like you're not doing enough. It'll lead to exhaustion because you'll actually never be able to do enough. It'll fuel resentment. Watch this. You will resent other people's successes because you believe that their success means you're a failure. And you'll resent God for not giving you more of what others have. It'll breed unhealthy gratification. Have you ever dealt with this? You will inwardly celebrate people's failures because it will make you feel more like a success. And then last, it'll lead to dishonesty. You'll live a lie. It's called smiling depression where you will go out into the world acting happy and self-assured when in reality you are sad and stressed out. If you are exhibiting any of these symptoms, please see my first point. Wake up. You are getting robbed. The last key truth that you need to know when dealing with comparison in 2019 is this. The cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. The cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. I want to just take a moment and just be very honest with you. I want you to know that this talk for me this morning is extremely personal. 
It's extremely personal. Almost three years ago, I sat at breakfast um, with the former director of Breakaway, uh, Ben Stewart. And as we sat at breakfast, Ben just said to me, he said, T.A., I want you to consider being the new director of Breakaway. And that was a very surreal moment for me. It was a defining moment because in college, Breakaway was my favorite part of my college experience. So the idea of coming back to College Station and being a part of the ministry that had been so meaningful to my spiritual experience in college was a dream opportunity. And we loved that season in time. And there were so many people that were excited for us during that time. But it also awakened like this socially awkward gene inside of people. Like I remember speaking at an event in Austin. I had just preached my heart out to these people. And I walked down the steps of the stage. And right after I said amen and walked down the steps, this guy met me at the bottom of the steps. And he was like, hey, you're taking over Breakaway? Man, Ben Stewart is such an incredible speaker. I was like, I agree. Like, I don't know. Yes, I I agree with that. And then I encountered several other people who were like, you're taking over Breakaway? Man, you got big shoes to fill. And I'm like, yeah, okay, good to know. I remember speaking at another church, and I came off the stage preaching my heart out. Husband and wife, this couple comes up, and she's like, I've been telling him he has to hear Ben Stewart talk. And that's like, if you're looking for affirmation, I agree with your statement. Yes, he should. And it, it was such a crazy time in my life because Ben Stewart is one of my close friends. Like, he's one of the people I admire and respect most in this world. I firmly believe that he is one of, if not the best communicator in our nation. I love Ben. But the crazy thing is that people spoke comparison into my life and comparison broke into the house of my soul and began to steal from me. And it created all sorts of insecurity in me during my first semester at Breakaway. Every Tuesday night when I got on the stage, I felt like I was stepping onto an audition stage where I was auditioning before a bunch of people who loved Ben and were eyeing me to see if I could ever measure up. And I never, and I never felt like I could. And the crazy thing was it began to breed resentment in me towards one of my great friends. I began to resent Ben's success because I felt like his success began to dictate my failure. But things are different now. Something has changed in my life. Like Ben and I are closer than ever. The Passion Conference was just a few days ago. I could have gone to Dallas. I flew to D.C. for 24 hours. Why? Because I wanted to be there to cheer on Ben and celebrate what God is doing through Ben. Uh, Trying to get Ben to come back and speak at Breakaway this spring because I love what God is doing through Ben. Being here now, I've realized God hasn't asked me to be Ben 2.0. As far as I know, Ben took all of his shoes with him to Washington, D.C., You know what I've been realizing and what God has been teaching me, what he's taught me, what's made the difference, what's caused change. And let me just be clear. I don't need anyone to come up to me afterward and be like, we like you too. Like, that's not the point of this. The point is, I'm good. I'm good. The thing that's made the change, the thing that's made the difference is I've begun to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. It does what comparison can't. 
Have you ever stopped to ask the question, why do I compare in the first place? Like, have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why you look around at other people and compare your life to theirs? I'll answer that question for you, and it has everything to do with what I'm talking about. Please don't miss it. If you want to know why you compare, all you have to do is listen to what Leon Festinger said all the way back in the 1950s. He popularized what's known as the social comparison theory. Here's what he tells us. He tells us that we determine our own social and personal worth based on how we stack up against others. So the reason that you will compare your life to others is because you're trying to figure out how much you're worth. You're trying to determine your value. So just think about it. If you have the earth factor over someone else, that means that you're more valuable than they are. But if someone has the earth factor over you, then they're worth more than you are. If you have the as factor at play in your life, then you are at least as valuable as someone else. You're trying to determine your value. You know what the scary thing is? The scary thing and the hard thing is that when you compare, what you're doing is you're looking to the world to tell you what you're worth. But the world is constantly changing what it values. So if you let the world speak in and tell you how much you're worth, you need to know that your value will constantly be changing based on what the world is valuing each day. If you want to take a step, if you want to move to a place where you can declare in 2019, you know what, enough with being enough. If you want to get to a place where you can say enough with comparison, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start looking someplace else to determine your value. I want to call you to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter tells us the cross of Jesus Christ does in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver, which what? Lose their value. Implying that there's something that doesn't lose its value. Here's what you were purchased with. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. So all eyes on me, don't miss what I'm about to say. What Peter just told us and what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is we have been bought with a price. So when Jesus Christ got on that cross, what he was doing was he was making payment for us, which means a price was placed on our lives. A value was given to our lives. And the value that was given to our lives when Jesus Christ hung on our cross was this. Our lives in that moment were then valued at the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what you're worth to God. You and me who had no value, God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth to give us value. Jesus Christ hung on the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed to give us value. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, making payment to the Father. His resurrection was a declaration that his payment for our lives was sufficient. He conquered the grave to give us value. So if you want to know what you're worth, you don't need to look to anyone else to tell you. I can tell you right now because the word of God has already told us the cross of Jesus Christ has shouted it at us. You are valued at the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what you're worth. 
So what that means is your value isn't something that you earn. It's something you freely receive through faith in Jesus Christ for what he's done for you on the cross. Why would you ever look to anyone else to tell you what Jesus Christ has already screamed at you from the cross? I'll end by saying this. All throughout your life, there's going to be times where it feels like someone hands you a letter. It might be an actual letter. It just might be, figuratively speaking, someone coming to you and in a sense saying, I just need you to know you are not enough for me. You know what the good news is? The good news is that we have a different letter written to us by the God of the universe. And the God of the universe is speaking into this place this morning, speaking into each person's life, declaring in this moment, you are enough for me. Not because you've done something to be enough. Jesus Christ has come and been enough for us. That's the beauty of Christianity. You don't have to be enough for God because you can't be enough for God. And that's okay. Jesus Christ has come and he's been enough for you. So let me just close with this question. If the God of the universe is speaking into your life this morning saying you are enough for me, then the question that you need to answer is this. Will that be enough for you? Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the ushers to bring the elements so that we can respond Today, by taking communion, no better way to respond than by taking communion, which is our opportunity to remember Christ's body being broken and his blood being shed. And he did that to declare our value, to give us value. And just in the quietness of your own heart, as we prepare to respond in gratitude through communion, I just want to give you a moment, just in the quietness of your own heart, do business with the Lord. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I hope that you're hearing what's on the table. You can't be enough for God. You can never do enough for God to say, you're enough for me. You can't be enough for God, and that's okay. Jesus Christ has come. He's lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserve to die. He has risen from the dead so that you could be raised to a new life with God. If you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, then I just invite you now to respond in the quietness of your own heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I can never be enough for you. And that's okay. Thank you that you've been enough for me. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you into my life. Give me new value in you. And for the rest of us here this morning, just identify the who, the what, the when, and bring it before God. Ask for his protection over comparison. But even more than that, can you just rest in this moment and the value that he's placed on you? Can you just hear him saying to you, this is how much you're worth to me. I gave my son to have you. 
Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for what you will do. We thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection, which give us value. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond this morning by taking communion. The ushers are going to distribute the elements. And this is really an opportunity for us to just say thank you. This is how we thank Jesus for his body being broken and his blood being shed so that we can know our value. So they'll distribute the elements. And then in just a few moments, you can hold them and then we'll take them together. On the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he gathered with his close friends. And he broke bread and he passed it around. And he gave them the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And so as we take the bread now, we take it and we remember what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. But as we take it, we take it with gratitude that by his body being broken, we were given value. So take and eat. And after the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he's called us at any time that we take the cup, we are to remember his blood that was shed for you and for me. So as we take it again, we take it with gratitude in our hearts. That as we take it, we are reminded of our value, that we are valued at not just the body, but the blood of Jesus Christ. So take and drink. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken and your blood was shed for us. Thank you, God, that when you see us, you see us as your beloved children. And we have incredible value, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you've done for us. Thank you that our value isn't something that we earn. Our value is something we freely receive. And so we take the the bread and we take the cup just simply as a reminder. And we say thank you for what you've done so that we could know you. We love you. And we respond in worship now. So I just want to invite you to stand and let's sing together. And let's finish today just by singing to God and remembering what he's done for us on the cross.